Welcome to Grace River Church, located in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Our mission is to see every generation experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives. We hope you enjoy today's message. Pastor Josh, if you'll please come. Hey, good morning, church. Say so good morning, church. It is honored to be with you this morning. And uh, I promise I'm not drinking Coke up here. That's going to be an illustration in a moment. But uh, God's good, amen? Uh, unlike Pastor John, I will celebrate the fact that Clemson just won. The Bible says the righteous shall prosper, amen? And uh, yesterday also, uh, we are avid Kentucky Wildcat uh, basketball fans. And uh, the righteous beat the wicked. We, uh, we beat Louisville, praise God. So God is good. And He is still on the throne. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. That's going to be our primary text this morning is Luke chapter 5. Pastor John just went through an incredible series on Messiah and the fact that Jesus has come and what that means for us. And in 2020, we're going to start a new series talking about vision and God's vision for our life and what that can look like. So the purpose of today is to kind of bridge the two. Since Jesus has come, what does that look like now as I'm trying to get a vision for the future of my life? And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're taking notes and you want a title for the sermon, you could call this Seeing More Clearly. Seeing More Clearly. Um, if you don't know it, when you get to heaven, uh, you can get in the expedited line if you took sermon notes at Grace River Church. Uh, so I highly recommend it this morning. You'll get in faster, I promise. I want to begin with a proposal today and I, that I want to share with you. I want to propose an idea. And that idea is simply this. I propose that Jesus Christ had the clearest vision for His life of any human being in history. I think He had the sharpest focus. That He knew exactly why He was on this earth and what He was called to do. He had the clearest vision for His life of any human being in history. You see, He was fully God, but He was fully man. He walked through the same battles that we go through. I love that Scripture that it says, He was tempted in all things as we are, yet He never sinned. He went through the ups of life, and He went through the downs of life. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned even once. Have you ever sinned? You don't have to confess it this morning. He never sinned. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, literally became sin so that you and me could become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and He rose from the dead. And then the Bible says He ascended to heaven and He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf and on mine. You know, you, you ever heard the phrase, when people go through life and they're very seasoned in life, sometimes people will say that they've seen it all. You know, maybe they're, they're older in age. They've had a lot of experiences, kind of like Pastor Corey, you know? They've seen it all. Wouldn't you say Jesus has seen it all? He's literally seen it all. So therefore, I want to propose this morning that if Jesus Christ had the clearest vision for His own life, I would propose that He can offer us the clearest vision for ours. One of the reasons we struggle to see clearly in today's age is there is so much darkness. You look around, everywhere you look, there's chaos and there's darkness. You turn on the news, 
and things seem to be spiraling out of control. You listen to politics, and it's just madness from every angle. There's darkness everywhere. But the good news is it does not end there. I love the fact that John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, three different books in the New Testament, all begin by making a specific point that Jesus Christ was the Creator God in Genesis 1.1. That the Son of God did not come into existence in Bethlehem. That's just when He took on human flesh. But He was the one doing the creating, at least in part, in Genesis 1. I love that because you could read Genesis 1-3 this way, the Son of God said, let there be light. The Bible describes that time as being dark, that darkness hovered, or it covered the earth. It says that it was a time without form, and it was very void. It was dark, it was chaotic, it lacked shape. There was no structure to life at that point. But when Christ got involved, there became light. And he said, I want to make something beautiful and of great form and beauty out of a situation that's completely chaotic. I want to encourage you this morning. Your life may look like Genesis, the beginning of Genesis. It may look very dark and without any shape. But when Christ gets involved, He can bring form and beauty where, there's, where none seems to exist. Amen? To see clearly, we must learn to follow Jesus because He is the one who has the most clear vision of what life is supposed to be. Jesus can provide vision, form, and beauty to your life even when everything seems to be out of control. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11, and this will be our primary text this morning. Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Say that with me. At your word. He said, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled, the, filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. They went from one problem to another. But Christ was with them. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you, God, that you have called us not to a life of darkness, but to a life of light. Father, give us clear vision this morning. Give us eyes to see the word of God, that we may leave this place and have a focus that is clear on what you've called us to do. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Amen. What does it mean to follow Christ? Because what we're proposing this morning is that to have a clear vision for your life, you've got to be able to follow 
Jesus Christ. Think about it. If we live in a dark world, the Bible describes Christ as the light of the world. Therefore, if you want to have your path illuminated, you've got to literally follow the light because it'll direct every step you take. So I want to give us two working definitions this morning for what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And the first one is this. To follow Christ is to see beyond my own limited perspective. How many people know that we have a limited perspective? You know, sometimes we think we can see it all. We think we know the end from the beginning. When you went into 2019, you probably had your year mapped out. I want to do this, this, and this. But how many people know, did your year go exactly like that? If it did, I want to speak with you after service because you got something going. But Luke 5.10 says, And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. You see, Christ's vision for our lives is far greater than what we ever think is possible. And He can do more through us than we could ever do in our own strength. Peter was a fisherman. But God was calling him to be a fisher of men. A big difference there. Peter probably thought that his occupation limited him to putting food on the table, to going out into the boat several times a week. In fact, I was, I was speaking with Anthony the other day, and he made comment that, especially in biblical times, the occupation of being a fisherman was not a desirable job. It was kind of low-hanging fruit. Uh, Peter likely had uh, identity struggles. He probably thought, God, I'm not worth that much. I'm just a fisherman. I go catch fish. I put it on the table. That's, that's my life. While it's a very noble vocation, in that day and time, it was not highly regarded. People didn't wake up in the morning. Kids didn't. And they didn't say, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a fisherman. There probably was not a lot of money involved. In fact, it's very fascinating that Jesus called a lot. He called some fishermen to be his disciples. He also called a tax collector named Matthew. Uh, some, in, when you read this account, of Jesus calling the disciples to follow Him. When in one of the Gospels, I think it's in Mark, it makes note that Matthew's tax collector booth, where he worked at, was by the Sea of Galilee. Some commentators suggest that Matthew was probably a tax collector of fishermen. He was the guy robbing the fishermen. Isn't it ironic that Jesus called Matthew and Peter to be on the same team? Church, with God, all things are possible. He can reconcile anything. And you see in this passage right here that Christ is calling Peter to expand his vision for what is possible with his life. Peter and these other fishermen likely had a very limited understanding of what God could do. They thought they have an average job with a very low ceiling. But Jesus saw Peter and these fishermen, and he wanted to do something in their life that they thought was impossible. He wanted to give them a vision for their life that would have eternal fruit. That for all of eternity, they would be able to witness what God did through them. You may be sitting here this morning, and you might think that you're in a mundane occupation. You may think that your job's not all that important. But can I tell you something? God's given you skills and talents and abilities, and He wants to use those things so that you can be a fisher of men. He wants to expand your thinking for what is possible. In the church that I grew up in, we had a wonderful lady. And uh, she was a phenomenal sewer. Is that what you call it when you sew clothes? A sewer? Seamstress, thank you. She did not sew seed. She, yeah, that's right, thank you. She was a seamstress. 
And I'll never forget, there were a number of times where I had holes in my clothes and she would fix it for me. Praise God. And to a lot of people, that would not seem like a very, you know, highly sought after skill. But let me put it to you this way. The church had clothes on because of this lady. I can assure you if that we didn't have any clothes on, you would really appreciate her occupation. But you know what? She used the skills and the talents that she had for the glory of God. And I can't tell you how many times, whether me or even my grandfather, who was the pastor, needed a wardrobe. Uh, He didn't want to have a wardrobe malfunction. And he would call this lady so that when he got up on Sunday morning, everything was kosher. She used her skillets and her talents for the glory of God. And Christ is calling us to do much of the same. He says, I want you to expand your thinking for what God can do in your occupation. You may think you're a fisherman, but I want to make you a fisher of men. Paul says in Ephesians 3 that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than anything we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Let's paraphrase it this way. You can't dream dreams that are too big for God. He wants you to expand your horizon. I have a Coke bottle here. And I, if you know me, I love Coke. It's, it's one of my uh, deep secrets. It's not really a secret. Um, this is a beautiful Coca-Cola bottle. I drank the first part of it this morning. And when, from my perspective, I can see the title. It says Coca-Cola. I can see some polar bears. It's nice and pretty. It's got a Christmas theme. Just makes you want to drink it. It's a beautiful Coca-Cola. This bottle symbolizes life. I may think I can see it all. I may think that my perspective is 100% clear. But in reality, I can only see one side of this bottle. But where you're sitting, you have a different perspective. And if you have 20-20 vision, you can probably read the other side of the bottle. From your perspective, this Coke is actually not as good as it looks from my perspective. Because on your perspective, you can see the ingredients. And you know that this Coca-Cola is not going to be very good for me. From my perspective, it looks great, but from your perspective, it doesn't look so good. You know, the beauty of Christ is He has a 360-degree perspective. And even when things from our vision look clear and beautiful and enticing, from His perspective, He can say, no, that's going to get you into trouble. No, I've got a better way. I've got a better opportunity for you. And when you start to follow Christ, your perspective starts to widen. Because the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, starts to give you spiritual eyes. And the Bible says He will lead you into all truth. Amen, church? Christ wants to expand our horizon this morning. It was Peter who was a fisherman, but Christ called him to be a fisher of men. I love the fact that in Acts chapter 2, this powerful account of what God was doing, the Holy Spirit had just been poured out. It was this little guy named Peter who stood up and preached this powerful sermon. And on, in one day, 3,000 people entered the kingdom of God. It was Peter's sermon that was a catalyst for the launch of the New Testament church. God said, Peter, I know you think you're just a fisherman, but I want to expand what I can do in your life. And in one day, I can bring 3,000 men into the kingdom of God, men and women. Peter caught a lot of fish. When Jesus was on the boat, in Acts 2, he cut a whole lot of people. Don't ever underestimate what God can do in your life with the skills He's given you. 
I promise you, He can do more than you think. Amen? Secondly, if we want to follow Christ, we've got to learn to surrender. In order to follow Christ, we've got to, uh, to surrender. You see, He wants to expand our vision for what is possible. But in order for that possibility to become a reality, we've got to learn to surrender everything to Him. Luke 5.11 says that, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed Him. They followed Christ. Peter and those who were with him were able to surrender their lives to the cause of Christ because they began to realize who this Jesus really was. Now we know, and commentators will tell you, at this point in the narrative, Peter had a very limited understanding of really who Jesus was. We know, he says, O oh Lord, in the passage, but he probably didn't really know that he was the Lord. But he did begin to recognize that the presence of God was on this man. Peter started to realize who Jesus really was. And when you and I start to realize who Jesus really is, it's amazing how God begins to expand what we believe is possible. Peter began to recognize that Christ had a vision for his life far greater than even his own. Peter was tired from a long night of fishing where they caught absolutely nothing. Now, Peter was a very skilled fisherman, highly skilled. If anybody would be able to catch fish, it was Peter. But they caught absolutely nothing. They were tired. It had been a long night. And Jesus comes along and he says, put the nets back in the deep end. You see, Peter's perspective was limited. He was tired and he was trying to do things in his own strength. The word surrender literally means, actually if you Google it, all-knowing Google, you're going to see that the word surrender means to cease resistance to an enemy or an opponent. And it also means to submit to their authority. And in order to truly follow Christ, I have to surrender my life to His authority. It's got to go from my control to His control. It's a call to surrender our will and our agendas. How many people know we have agendas in this day and age? You turn on the TV, you're going to see a lot of agendas. But when you follow Christ, the Bible says we're dead to our agendas. We die to it. Why? Because the one who has the wider vision wants to give us a brand new agenda that's far greater than our own. My grandfather often would use this phrase. He would say, Josh, when people say, no, Lord. You ever heard somebody, you know, God will ask us to do something. And we'll say, no, Lord, I'm really not in the mood for that. He says, Josh, when we say, no, Lord, that's actually a contradiction of terms. Because if He really is Lord, you will never say no. Because you've already submitted your authority to Him. He's in control of your life. Surrender involves obedience, even when it doesn't make any sense. Surrender involves obedience, even when it doesn't make any sense. You know, the Lord's going to call us to do things at times that in our limited perspective doesn't make a lot of sense. This looks really good, but if the Lord called me to not drink it, it's for a reason. It's because He can see the other side. God's going to call us to do things that may not always make one, two, three sense, but surrender still involves, involves obedience. Luke 5, 4 through 5 says that when Jesus had finished speaking, He said to Simon Peter, 
Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Notice the faith that Jesus had. He knows they caught nothing, and he says, I want you to put your nets down because you're going to get a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. This does not make any sense what you're asking me to do. But he says, at your word, I'll do it anyway. Peter understood, at least in a moment. Now, he failed many times like all of us do, amen? But in this particular moment, he understood that if he was going to surrender, he was going to have to obey. It was obedience that positioned Peter to receive the miracle. A lot of us are wanting miracles in our lives, but are we willing to obey? You see, Peter, if he had not obeyed, would have never seen the miracle because the miracle was dependent upon his obedience. Christ is calling you to expand your vision, but He wants to do it in partnership with you. And that's the beauty of obedience. It gives us an opportunity to work with the Creator of the universe. And He says, I'm going to give you the fish, but you've got to obey. But when we obey, comes the miracle. Peter understood this. Peter's response to Jesus' request to drop the nets again is amazingly similar to Jesus' response to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. God called Jesus to do something that didn't make any sense. The Father called a perfect man to die for people who had sinned. That doesn't make any sense in our human minds. Jesus called Peter to put, fit, put, to put a net in a sea where they caught nothing. That doesn't make any sense. Even though in his flesh, Peter didn't feel like it, he said, at your word, I'll do it anyway. Even though in Jesus' flesh, he didn't feel like hanging on a cross, he said, Father, not my will, but your will anyway. You see, when obedience gets involved, then comes the miracle. The natural reaction to a revelation of who God is and of His character is complete surrender. You see, when we truly understand who Christ is, your natural response will be to fully surrender your life. What do you mean, Josh? Well, look at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, this mag you don't have to turn there, I'm sorry. This mag I saw the pages flipping. Isaiah chapter 6, you see this magnificent, powerful prophet, and he has a vision of the Lord. And you would think, oh, you know, this mighty prophet's going to, you know, kind of pump his chest out. He's got this amazing vision. But his immediate reaction, because he saw the Lord for who he really was, he says, woe is me. I'm a ruined man and I have unclean lips, for I have seen the Lord of hosts. When you get a clear picture of who Christ is, it'll change everything you'll begin to see not only who He is, but you'll see who you are. You'll also see how much He loves you and what great length He went to pay for your sin. In Acts chapter 7, the Stephen was preaching a powerful sermon and he was politely rewarded by being stoned to death. And as in his dying breath, he looks into heaven and he sees a vision of Christ Himself standing. And when he sees the vision of Christ, do you know what Stephen's immediate response was? Complete surrender. It was complete surrender. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I surrender. I've ran my race and I surrender. In Acts chapter 9, a guy named Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. This guy was a Jewish terrorist. And he was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. And on his way, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. He gets an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't that fascinating? 
Saul was persecuting Christians, but Jesus takes it personally when you and me go through a hard time. He said, Saul, he didn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He said, you're persecuting me. See, God cares about everything you ever go through. He takes it personally. And when Saul was on his way, he is in this, in this encounter with Christ. And Saul's immediate reaction to this encounter is, who are you, Lord? He used the word Lord. Saul's immediate response to an encounter with Christ was complete surrender. And then we come to our passage here in Luke chapter 5. You have this guy named Peter. He's just an average Joe. He's a fisherman. But God, Christ said, I want to expand what you think is possible in your life. And when Peter has an opportunity to surrender, he does, and that's when the miracle happens. See, if we're going to follow Christ, we've got to realize that Christ wants to expand our vision for what is possible in our life. We've also got to understand that obedience is a part of that process. But obedience is not a bad thing. It's the open door to a miracle. I'm going to ask Emily if she'll prepare to come. I had a professor one time share a powerful story. Um, and it was, he was teaching a class, and he had a couple students in this class. And it was really bothering him because it was a theological class. But these two individuals in particular were not engaged at all. And one of the things I appreciate about this professor is that he just doesn't care about the grades you get. He cares about your heart. And here you're having an entire class on the life of Christ or on the doctrines of Scripture, and they're not engaged one bit. He said they would slouch in the back row. They would just show up because they had to. And they're just leaning back in their chairs waiting for the class to get over. And they went like that the entire semester. He said towards the end of the semester, it had been bothering him. Towards the end of the semester, they're in the middle of a lecture, and he's just sharing away like he normally does. And out of nowhere, those two gentlemen in the back stand up and go running to the front and start crying out to God right in the middle of his lecture. He says, suddenly, one by one, the entire class came to the front and started crying out to God. True story. He said, not before long, other classes, people were walking down the hall. And they were seeing what was going on. And they had this mini revival in the middle of this professor's lecture. God moved in a very powerful way in those few moments. And he moved through two gentlemen that did not seem to have any interest at all the entire semester. After it kind of came to a close, somebody asked those two, those two students, what on earth just happened? You guys didn't give a lick the whole semester, and now suddenly you care? Do you know what they said? Both of them. As they were sitting on that back row, they said, while we were sitting here, we had a vision of Christ. You see, Jesus is opening an op he's, he's offering you an open door this morning. And He loves you greatly, and He'll go to great lengths to invite you into His presence, even if He has to appear to you personally on the back row of a class. When those two students who didn't care anything about Christ, when they saw Christ, it changed everything. To the point that they ran to the front of a classroom and started confessing their sin in public and crying out to God. Don't worry, we're not going to do that here in a moment. If you want to have a clear vision for your life in 2020, Pastor John's going to be talking a lot about that. Pastor Corey, you want to have clarity of focus for what God's called you to do. You've got to understand that He's called you to do more than you ever thought was possible. He wants to expand your thinking for what He can do in your life. 
But you've also got to understand that there's a, there's a call to obedience that's involved. And the more accurate picture you get of Jesus, the more easy it'll be to surrender. I'll close with this. I want to ask you to stand this morning. When you move into every new year, there's an awful lot of talk about New Year's resolutions. Amen? There's an awful lot of talk about that. I want to encourage you this morning. Keep your resolutions if you want. That's fine. But I want to encourage you to do something else. I want you to make a New Year's crucifixion. Say, wait a minute. I thought Jesus already died once for all. He did. He died for your sin. But in order to follow Christ, we've got to daily crucify this thing we call the flesh. You see, we call it spiritual warfare for a reason. It's a war. I'm amazed how many Christians, and I'm not picking on them at all, but it kind of catches me weird that Christians don't have a hard time believing in a resurrection or the virgin birth, but they have a hard time believing in demons. Like That doesn't make any sense. I don't understand that. It's a spiritual war for your life. And there's two sides. And on one side, you've got your old self, that self that you had before you met Christ. The Bible says that in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things are passing away. But at times, that old self is still going to rise up. Those old lusts are still going to be there. You say, what do you do when they come back? You crucify it. You know, when you crucify something, you put it to death. The amazing thing about Jesus is He went to the cross and He probably had seen many crucifixions personally because they used to crucify people on their way into Jerusalem on the main road so that everybody saw it because it was a uh, tactic of fear. The Roman Empire wanted you to be scared to death of going against them so they would crucify people in public so that you knew what the price was going to be. Jesus knew that was His destiny and He still did it anyway. That's how much He loves you this morning. And in order to follow Christ, you also have to crucify that old man on a daily basis. I've got to crucify that old man. But I don't want you to just make a New Year's crucifixion. Make a New Year's resurrection. Those things in your life that you know need to be there, that God's called you to, resurrect them. Bring them back to life. You say, what do you mean, Josh? Well, you'll never be able to follow Christ if we don't engage His Word. Resurrect the discipline of reading God's Word. Make it a habit again in your life. And you see, as you read the Word, you'll see Christ more clearly. And as you see Christ more clearly, the vision for your life will begin to expand. Resurrect those things in your life that you know need to be there. Maybe in your job, you have a, there's somebody you have a hard time getting along with. Or, you know, you, you, there's just something about this person that drives you crazy. Resurrect a love for them. Say, how on earth do I do that? You go to your prayer closet. You say, God, I need your grace today. And in Jesus' name, if you can love me, I can show the love of Christ to them. Don't ever forget where you came from. I want to encourage you, as you go into 2020, we're not going to have an altar call or anything. I just want you to think. What do you need to crucify? And what do you need to resurrect? Because in order to follow Christ, we've got to do those two things. Amen. Can I say a blessing over you this morning? Father, we thank you for your church this morning. And we thank you for the love of Jesus Christ that has been demonstrated through the cross. But Lord, it doesn't stop there. The story goes on to tell us that he rose from the dead, overcoming death, sin, and the grave. And your word says that if we confess our sins, 
You are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to carry shame anymore because Christ nailed it to the cross. We don't have to carry the regrets from 2019. They die today. And as we go into 2020, we're going to resurrect those things in our life that we know are of God. And we're going to follow Christ wherever He leads. Father, I ask that when You call us to obey, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it doesn't make sense, give us like the words of Peter, at Your Word, we'll do it anyway. Give us the mind of Christ to be able to see beyond our own perspective. And Lord, help us to be able to follow Christ everywhere we lead. Because it's when we do that, that one day we'll get to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So I pray a blessing over Grace River Church this morning. Every person who is here today, I ask that you bless them and give them favor in 2020. Lord, use them in ways they cannot even imagine. Give them the power of the Holy Spirit to crucify the flesh and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit wherever He leads. And we'll give you all the praise and we'll give you all the glory. The best is indeed yet to come in 2020. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Pastor John? So much good word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord praise. We're going to be dismissed. But would you do me a favor? Um, there's going to be a lot of things happening in the next few days, a lot of celebration. But before you leave today, fellowship. Just take a few minutes. I know there's plans. I know you got a lot of places you need to go. But it, it's already um, 11.30. You'll make it. Okay? So I just want us to take some time in these next few minutes before we leave the church. Shake some hands. Introduce yourself to some people. But this is the last time we'll be together this year. Um, just take a, take a few extra moments and just love on each other. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this word. Thank you for your word to us. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to respond to your word. And God, I pray that we do that. As Pastor Josh has challenged us today, Lord, um, Lord, crucify, resurrect. Lord, let us listen keenly to your word, to your voice, and respond, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we give you glory in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to hear more, you can find our entire archive on our website at graceriverva.com. Also, if this message has touched you in any way, we would love to connect with you. Do this by filling out a connection card at graceriverva.com slash connect. From all of us at Grace River Church, have a blessed day.